I know. Rock and roll. That is the Smiths with a track called I Want the One I Can't Have from their album Meat is Murder. I'm David Eastall and this is the C86 Show. Welcome once again to another thrilling ride of life, as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should. Though, I have to say, in this case, you probably don't know many of these songs, because this week's special guest, and yes, you know I always like a special guest, is the one and only David Hopkins from the James Dean Drive-In Experience. I know, I can hear the applause in the background there. Yes, this has just taken me two years to track down a member of the band who who agreed to be interviewed. So I'm very excited. In fact, I'm slightly hyperventilating. So I've got that uh, interview to come in probably three or four easy to digest little sections or segments alongside the usual quality music. Anyway, we're going to kick off with one of the tracks by the band. This is Sean Connery. Oh, uh-huh. 
Chartbone Sounds with the James Dean driving experience on the track called Sean Connery that featured on vocals Ian Gregg, also David Hopkins, Nick Gibbons, Vicky Richardson, who played violin, and also Arthur Watts. But anyway, I'm not sure which one who played what, actually. But we'll find out in the interview, because, yes, this week or last week, I caught up with David Hopkins, who played guitar in the band, to find out more about life, love and poetry. Well, probably not, but definitely more about the James Dean driving experience, because it took me about two years to find a member to talk to me, and eventually I think I wore them down. So he agreed just to get get rid of me I think anyway it was all good stuff anyway so look I'm going to play another track by the band and then we'll have the first part of my interview with David Um, but this is going to be Hicksville USA take it away There you go, the James Dean driving experience, and probably my favourite song, Hicksville USA. Anyway, David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can via Twitter or Facebook. Go to at C86 Show. I will be there. Fascinating stuff, I'm sure. Anyway, this is the first part of my interview that I had with David, or Dave Hopkins, from the band, where um, you can tell that um, he probably hasn't been interviewed about this band for 30 years, and I have no information about them at all, apart from a tiny bit that I found on the internet. So, the first question, we kick off with... Just tell us about the band, David. David, please, more info. We were all... Hang on. <laughs> I am having to dredge my memory here. Ian, the singer, 
he comes and as far as i know he's still there i haven't actually spoken to him in years we've had like a, a few um a few messages here and then he's based in hoddesdon in hertfordshire um i come from north london originally um i don't live there anymore i live in brighton now but um and at the and then there was a at the time that i joined there was me there was ian and there was philip um who was the drummer and i cut he came he came from west london i think as much as i can remember i think he was over in west london um and then and then i had my friend nick who was uh, originally from york but he was uh, he was at university at ucl in central london and i sort of knew nick through you know mutual friends um so it was all sort of north london and upwards that we were that we were based yes and then um, and were you because because having spoke to a few people i mean johnny johnson from the sydley she moved to london because she really wanted to be in a band and tried to do that for sort of five years i mean were you all keen to do the musical thing yeah i was going to i i was going and seeing loads and loads of bands around about sort of you know 84 85 86 that's when i really started going to gigs and stuff and i'd always wanted to be in a band from the about the age of 15 i i started playing guitar when i was 15 and um I just wanted to be in a band, but I didn't. I don't know. I I seem to I seem to remember I was always very, you know, I was quite specific about the sort of band I wanted to be in. Without actually, <laughs> I say that, but I I didn't. I didn't really know. I I, I didn't have the. I wasn't a very good guitarist. I mean, um, so I wasn't very confident of my musical skills. And then sort of C eighty six happened which of course you'll know about. And um, I thought that was the, along the sort of lines of the sort of thing that I wanted to do. Ian had always had played guitar for, you know, some amount of, for an amount of time. It was weird when I, when I met him, when I met him and when I met Philip, they'd already, the James Dean driving experience was already a going concern. They had, there are two girls who were in it before me and Nick joined. Um, but yeah, it was, there, there was always a, I'd always, I wanted to be in a band and I, 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 um, I just hadn't found it. I'd, there'd been a few attempts by me by advertising in Melody Maker to, uh, join bands, but they'd sort of ended in disaster really. <laughs> and, um, when I met Ian and Philip, I, I seem to remember thinking, oh, it was, it was more the people initially at first. I thought, yeah, I, you know, get on with these people. And it was more about getting on with people first than, than really playing music. Although I did, I, 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 I met Ian specifically because I was asked to join and I can't remember, <laughs> I can't remember how I how I came to join, which sounds ridiculous. It was through a friend. A friend of mine said had met Ian or he'd met Philip, and they were he'd said, "Oh, they're looking for they're looking for other members because the two girls had left, and that's how I came to join." Right, because it was a four piece when when you started to record things, which featured was it you, Ian, Nick, and was it Vicky as well? Was that the, was that the classic lineup? 
Vicky came a little bit later. When I when I when when we started recording, it was me, Ian, Nick, and Philip on drums. And then Philip left not that long after the first single was released, and we started look because Philip was a stand-up drummer, you know, very much like. Um, <laughs> Bobby Gillespie in Primal Scream when he uh, not Primal Scream yes Primal Scream when he's he um, he started yes and actually started, I think the the guy from the no, not Primal Scream who who am I thinking of Jesus he was and in Mary Chain Jesus and Mary Chain of course he was yes. in Jesus and Mary Chain he was a stand up drummer and, and I can then, remember the guy from the Pogues the first time I ever saw them they were supporting Elvis Costello and the drummer was standing there just hitting the drum and it was like oh that's very interesting in a folks he was yeah. sort of way wasn't it. So yeah, yes. it was like a, a, a sort of floor tom and a snare, and so that's that's what Philip did. And then we started to, I think someone had um, joined, you know, a, a drummer. Somehow we we got it into our heads that we wanted a, a full kit drummer, and Philip left, and he went on to form a band of his own. Um, and then we had this succession. We never really had a proper full time drummer until we met a guy called Arthur. Arthur Watts. I wonder what ever happened to Arthur Watts. Arthur um, Watts, yes, indeed. This is yeah. a bit, it's a bit like the Spinal Tap drummers, isn't it, really? <laughs> it is a bit. We had, so we had, we had a, a guy from New Zealand who, who was very good. You know, he was like properly trained drummer. Um, he played a few gigs with us. We had Gary from McCarthy, who, the drummer from McCarthy. He played with us a few times. And then we, we found Arthur through... I don't know. Maybe uh, I think I think we put an advert in the paper for a full-time drummer. But then, yeah, I mean, you're you're quite right about Vicky. She was she played violin, and there was we were sort of we were sort of the core members after yeah. Philip left. Yes, and obviously, because having sort of done this show for a while, sort of realised that that sort of indie pop world that I've often put down for from sort of eighty three to about eighty seven, which was the duration of the Smiths, basically. But um, mm. and but it was a kind of a glorious time in a way. I mean, at the time, you know, we didn't think anything about it; it just seemed natural. And John Peel was playing all these bands, and then the NME cassette came out, C eighty six. So obviously, there was a lot of guitar based bands, and there had been obviously in the early eighties. I can't quite remember but actually the, most of the 80s seemed quite politically grim as well. So there was a lot of people who were unemployed or g- claiming job seekers allowance or the enterprise allowance scheme. Um, so, yes, that, that was kind of also the backdrop to that kind of glorious decade that we talk about. So when you got that, you're, you're the, the, uh, the sound of the band, did that come together relatively quickly or kind of just like just fell into place? Well, the, yeah, the... Um... The sound, I think the sound didn't really, I wasn't really aware of what the sound was until, personally speaking, I mean, the, the others may think differently about this, but I wasn't really aware of the sound until we recorded, um, God, what did we do? We recorded a flexi, uh, some tracks with, as demos, but we used them, we put them out on a flexi disc. Yes. And, um, was this world weary and wise? That was one of your first singles, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was much slower. That we re-recorded it later on on the Sean Connery um, single, but we it started. It was quite slow and it was quite dreamy. Uh, it still had, you know, we liked the idea of an acoustic guitar and a you know a, a lead guitar and drums and bass. Um, but I wasn't really aware of. I'd never done any proper recording 
before. And when we went in and re- did that first recording, I thought, oh, my God, this is this is exactly what I've always wanted to do. I, I, I loved recording, but I wasn't aware of the sound we could potentially make until we actually went and did that. And that was a very... Uh, I wasn't, it wasn't quite ramshackle. We went to a studio, but it was a you know quite a small studio where we where we did it, and it. I was just uh, <laughs> I was just wide eyed when when we went and did it. I thought oh, I can't believe I'm actually in a proper recording studio. And these, I didn't know. I hadn't until we recorded. I wasn't aware of even what Ian was singing, <laughs> and I was suddenly aware he was writing these lyrics that that were. I don't know. I, I, they, they weren't what I expected him to write. I was quite taken by them. And, you know, he had them all written down. I thought, oh, God, that's what you're singing. <laughs> and that's the first part of my interview with David Hopkins from the James Dean Drive-In Experience. And, um, yes, what happened to Arthur? We'll never know, probably. Anyway, as he was talking about World Weary and Wise, which was their first release on a flexi-disc, I think we should play that track before more interview. It's two minutes and seven seconds of pure indie magic. the James Dean driving experience with a track called World Weary and Wise, which was their first single that came out in 1987, the best year of music ever in modern history. Anyway, David Eastall, the CD6. So this is the second part of my interview with David Hopkins from the band, where we were talking about Ian's lyrics and, um, and we talk about the sort of depth and the slightly melancholic romantic quality of them. And this was David's reply. David, what was your reply? Yes, very much so. And uh, that's why I was... I. I didn't know what he was singing about until then, and 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 when I found out, it it wasn't that I was surprised or didn't think he was capable of, of doing it. It was just they were quite um, what's the word? Um, they not literary, but <laughs> they were better lyrics than I than I thought they would be. <laughs> That's nice. Yes, because we spent a, we spent a lot of time. You know, we we spent a lot of time laughing and joking. To be honest, we didn't. I'd, it hadn't even occurred to me that um, 
that the lyrics were as um i suppose you could say they were quite rich really in in terms of of how they were written and and how they rhymed and and everything like that up until then i'd been into bands like you know i was part of the psychobilly uh (laughs) craze so um lyrics weren't necessarily that important yes yeah so it's quite interesting yeah well it's quite interesting because obviously ian curtis from joy division i think he wrote those lyrics and and i think you know having heard people like peter hook talk about them you know they they weren't sort of that bothered by them it was us fans who took them so sort of meaningfully that you know we read tons into them and then obviously the story where he kills himself so it's incredibly tragic but but i think for the rest of the band they were just like well you know we're not that bothered about the lyrics and we were going yeah but listen to the lyrics they're so meaningful you know and i think we listen to the the sort of uh, yeah the same with the james dean driving experience i can kind of hear them and think Oh, they are amazing songs, actually. You know, there's more yeah. to it than just, um, I don't know, just a love song. You know, it's it's kind of it was kind of quite rich. And in in a way, you know, having been a bit obsessed with a bit quite a lot, really. This, you know, the Smiths obviously were big in in my life. You know, it it followed. You know, there was kind of certainly a, a similar vibe um, with the sound that you were making as well. Well, lyrically as well. So, yes, it was interesting. So, did once you sort of started and you did that flexi disc, which was kind of eighty seven. And then you did Dean's 11th Dream. Did you mm. start to think, oh, this this could be a bit of a goer at the moment? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, when, Dean's, uh, when Dean's 11th Dream came out and we started, you know, it got played on John Peel. That was like, I, I thought at the time, well, my you know, all my dreams have come true now. I've <laughs> been played by John Peel. What could possibly be get any better than this? But I'd, when I heard Dean's 11th Dream, we'd been playing it for a while, but when I when we recorded it and we heard the recorded version, I thought, oh my God, this, I, th- I think we could, this could, yeah, we could, we could, we could go somewhere with this. And it was, you know, it was um, moderately, successful in terms of it got to number i think 16 was the highest but number 16 in the nme independent chart john peel played it it got reviewed people like the name as well that you know james dean driving experience that that got um got mentioned in the music press and and stuff and i thought oh oh there's a bit of a buzz here it probably wasn't as much of a buzz as i thought it was but um I did think, yeah, we, oh, we, yeah, maybe, maybe this could actually be something, you know, maybe, maybe this could develop into, into something a bit bigger. And it did, didn't necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, because there's a few bands who, you know, I've interviewed where they've done lots of singles and flexi disc and even a John Peel session. Did you ever do a John Peel session? No, that, that really would have been my, the, the crowning glory. We, we tried, we sent in, we sent in, you know, copies of the single. I was, um, you know, days before uh, email or anything like that, I would constantly send in letters to John Peel telling him where the, uh, you know, where we were playing and stuff. And I remember him saying on his show once, oh, I've 
had another letter from the James Dean driving experience. They're a very communication-minded bunch. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we we never did a John Peel session. Yes, and good um, on the on the sort of a subject of kind of record labels and getting an album out. That kind mm. of didn't quite happen, did it? Because you went from sort of various, I don't know what they kind of mean, but it was like not on label. That was a flex disc. Then there was Autumn Glow. Then Plastic Hates mm. Records Limited, and then something called LL. So did um, did that side of life just never sort of line up that you thought, oh, we've got 12 songs here or whatever we, 10 yeah. songs, uh, we'll put an album out? It never it never quite happened. Autumn Glow was, uh, I mean, it wasn't, that was someone else, um, the manager that we had, um, Jed, he uh, was in contact with uh, someone who wanted to put out a record. He wanted to, he wanted to start a record label. Uh, which he did, Autumn Glow, and he put out a song by us. And then through Jed's work, I think we got Plastic Head, who were based in Oxford, I seem to remember. Were they Oxford-based? Yes, they were Oxford-based. And then, again, that was right, okay, well, we'll try you out with a single. So we put out a single with them, and then we didn't go any further with Plastic Head. And then we got ourselves signed to L who were part of Cherry Red Records or a subsidiary of Cherry Red and again that was right okay we'll put out a single and then see what happens and it was always a well are you are we going to do an L, uh, an LP or not and it was I don't know if for one reason or another it just never it never really happened no. not because we didn't want to but um, it, it just didn't happen I don't I don't know if the offer was particularly there to, to do an album. Yes. Would have been nice. And that's the second part of my interview with guitarist David Hopkins from the band The James Dean Driving Experience. And as he mentioned, Dean's 11th Dream that came out on Autumn Glow Records. I think we should play a track, that track, and then more interview. Take it away, boys. <laughs> Same to 
still sounding good decades later. That is Dean's 11th Dream by the James Dean Drive-In Experience. And this is going to be the third part of my interview with David Hopkins, where we talk about the four to five years um, life of the band and um, and ask him about how it uh, developed and um, how it all came to a slight end. David, tell us the story. Yeah, it we, we did Sean Connery and that didn't really... I mean, I, it was a. I think it was it was a great single. Actually, it's why probably my favourite out of all of them. But um, it just didn't, you know. We and we by then we were more with a what I would have called a proper record label, and it it just didn't. I don't know. It, it things died a death. Really, I think we were all getting a bit. Well, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like we were all apathetic, but by that point we'd. I, th- I think we'd missed. I think we'd missed the boat <laughs> by that point. Others, other members of the band may disagree, but I, I think it just sort of it petered out, really. Yes. And did you have a, a moment, you know, where you all said, "This is this is it. We're not going to continue," or did it just did you just stop seeing each other? It it, it all just drifted apart, really. I think Arthur, the drummer, left, and we tried to find other drummers after that so one of ian's friends phil he was like the sort of main drummer after that um but it just wasn't you know it just wasn't happening and we were i think we nick left he sort of finished university by that point and he was off looking for jobs and i'd sort of um i was in need of it starting to needing to earn some proper money so i was i was looking for jobs and it just it just we never actually said right we're going to stop we just you know we just didn't start we didn't keep on rehearsing as we had been yes and it all yeah it all sort of drifted away <laughs> drifted away really yeah so what happened to vicky vicky um she became a journalist and then um was um and in fact, I think she still does it. She she writes about um, architecture because oh, her father was an architect. Um, I think did she qualify as an architect as well? I can't remember, but I know she became an architectural journalist. I think, and she's the editor of of an architectural magazine. I do believe, and oh. she got married as well. Yes, excellent. And what happened to I, have, I, have, I haven't seen her for years either. No, probably. And what happened to Ian? Because he was a songwriter. He, I don't think he carried on in music. Um, as far as I know, he's still living in um, Hertfordshire, um, and he works now. I'm not entirely sure what he works as, but yeah, it's it's weird. It's, um, it would be nice to see everyone. Yes. Um, but there's that feeling of, you know, it really is a long time ago since I since we did any music at all, and I I don't know if it would be that that sort of slight oh that was that was of its time (laughs) (laughs) Um, i'm still i'm still in contact with jed who is our uh, manager i haven't physically seen him for a long time this is the thing with facebook isn't it you say oh i'm still in contact with them but you never actually sometimes you never actually get around to seeing people but i'm still in contact with jed quite a lot so uh, 
And also, you did play a lot of gigs, because I've sort of seen the names sort of appearing mm. on various kind of places where people kind of are putting up their kind of archive posters or sort of other bands are putting up their sort of tours of, you know, Great Britain and places like the Art Centre. And there's, oh, the James Dean Driving Experience were there as well. So you were quite on the road as well, quite, you know, during that period, the late 80s. <clears throat> yeah, we did. We um, we played a lot of gigs around London. We played up in Leeds, Manchester, a place near uh, St. Helens, near Liverpool. So we did do it, but it was never, they were always sort of tended to be, you know, one gig at a time. Or It, it was never a proper, well, I always wanted to go on tour, like proper tour yes. in a bus away for you know several weeks but um i think we managed it once where we went we, we toured around the north of england um and places yes yeah and also almost lastly but you know your your album covers or a single 12 inch covers they all were quite um had a particular image which obviously reminded me a little bit of the smiths was that very deliberate i mean was there an, a sort of I'd say art director, but that probably is a bit too much to say that, isn't it? But somebody who was in charge of your your uh, graphic design. Well, that that was that was mostly Ian who came up with those. He was very um, he was very set on what he called screen, you know, on screen goddesses like Audrey Hepburn, Claudia Cardinale. Um, uh, I can't remember who the one was on the Plastic Head record uh, record Rita Hayworth. So he. You know, and he spent a lot of time looking for for old black and white uh, stills of, of of these people, and he he was very specific about that. I didn't really, you know, I liked the pictures. I thought I thought they looked great as uh, record sleeves, but he was very much. Uh, he was very much the brains behind that. Yes, and if you get a chance, do check out the uh, sleeves of the James Dean driving experience. And like I said, if you uh, Google the band and sort of look around, there is bits and pieces out there, but not an awful lot. Um, anyway, I've still got one little bit more of that interview still to go. But before that, I think we should play another track by the band. I mean, if you like James Dean driving experience, fill your boots. I mean, this is solid gold, easy action. This is a track called Drop Dead Darling. Take it away. <laughs>
and that's the track titled Drop Dead Darling. There's a lot of D's in there. And that was the B-side to the single Clear Lake Revisited, and that came out in 1989, probably towards the end of the band's life. But anyway, still sounding good. This is going to be another part of the interview that I had with Dave Hopkins, the guitarist from the band, where I ask him about his association with McCarthy. Yes, it's we're getting down to the deep and... Uh, minuscule details of indie pop here and this was his reply uh, what happened that i was still in james dean driving experience when that happened um that was and that was just for a two-week tour so I, I did finally get to go on tour it just wasn't with my own band um <laughs> they're mccarthy's bassist <coughs> excuse me mccarthy's bassist john couldn't do a particular tour for one uh, i can't remember the reason now and because um i had friends who knew uh malcolm and tim in mccarthy um i got rather nicely i got offered the part uh, the you know the, the job of doing of playing bass for them for two weeks when they toured around um france and switzerland Excellent. so um and then it i that ended with a gig at the ica in london um, at the end of the tour, which John could have done, but because I'd been playing with them for two weeks, it, they said, well, you know, it's probably right that I did it. Um, that was, a, I, I have very fond memories of doing that. That was a fantastic two weeks. I, I enjoyed it so much. Yes. And do you sort of, looking back at your, you know, the, the James Dean driving experience, do you have fond memories of that um, sort of chapter in your life? Oh, yeah. I, like, it was, you know, three, four years of when I was in my early to mid 20s where i you know it was it was all good fun i i i if i wouldn't go back and change anything about it at all i i i did really enjoy it i i guess the only thing i would change is maybe i would love to have recorded an album um i would have loved to have done more recording full stop the playing live i wasn't so keen on i i, I wasn't <laughs> Like I said, I wasn't the most gifted guitarist in the world, and I wasn't the most dexterous guitarist either. But um, I, I did what I did. We all, you know, we all got on with it. But um, I would, yeah, I would have loved to have recorded in an album and maybe done, been a bit more professional in our, um, in our, uh, maybe in playing gigs. I don't mean in terms of organising them. I just mean in the way that we played them i think we could have been we could have done things a bit better but at the same time you know it's it's a long time ago now and i i I do remember it with very fond memories i i wouldn't um it's nice to listen back sometimes not that i have done for a while it's nice to listen back to some of the recordings and i can remember you know doing certain bits and what we were doing when uh, and where we were when we recorded certain songs yes and yeah. were you? And often I ask this question, which is well, I might as well ask it again. What would you say to your eighteen-year-old self? Do you know, with that kind of experience and that that moment in in kind of indie musical history? I would say to myself, enjoy it a bit more than you did at the time. I was always very. Um, I I I invested a lot of time and effort and mental mental effort in in worrying about about it all and and i i i didn't i enjoyed it in retrospect and i think i would tell myself for god's sake 
calm down a bit and just try to just enjoy it a bit more just enjoy the fact that you're playing in front of people and maybe make a bit more of an effort to um to actually talk to some of the people that came and saw us i don't mean i was rude to people but i i was just very kind oh my god is this going to work out um I, I very much wanted to make a career out of it and i think i should have been a little bit more realistic than that and just thought right this might this might not work out and if so and and if so then just enjoy it enjoy it now yes. while, while while it's going because sorry it, that makes me sense yeah no no like i was some sort of you know that i was full of angst or anything i wasn't i just um i i just could have enjoyed it a bit more at the time rather than looking back a bit and looking back at it now and going oh yeah i did it I, yeah it was a good time Yes. Well, actually, a lot of people say the same thing, that they wish they'd enjoyed it, but they didn't because because there's quite a few bands. And, you know, they, you know, they did you know, remarkably well in some respects. But they said, actually, the, the tensions within the band were absolutely horrible and there were problems. So there was that, which often isn't great. And they think, oh, that's such a shame. We could have just if we weren't having all that angst amongst ourselves, it could have been better. Um, and just kind of not being so uptight and taking oneself so seriously, which is, you know, often the other thing that it's difficult when you're 18 or 20 in your early 20s, because that's kind of what most people do when they're in that age group of being a bit uptight. And yeah, I, I, luckily, I, I think we we all got on, which was which was good. Me. Yeah, we, we we all got on and we, we had a laugh and we didn't fall out. You know, we didn't ever fall out. I don't think there was anything ever like that, really. Um and maybe maybe we got on and had a laugh too much. I don't know. But we, we all got on as people and I am pretty sure that if we all met up now we would um we would still be able to do the same. Obviously we're a lot older now and uh, and everything else. But um we did yeah, luckily we didn't ever fall out or have anything like that. But um like you say, when you're eighteen up up into your early twenties, that's sort of you know maybe maybe you're not designed to enjoy things necessarily as you should at the time yes because because i did see uh, don't, don't know if you saw that but cherry red would seem to be interested to do a collection or compilation of your material has that sort of progressed any any further not as far as i know i think we were um ian may well have been involved in that and looking at um releasing you know uh, compiling everything together but i think there was some there was some doubt as to where some of the original master tapes were i know i don't have any of them but they're probably lying in someone's attic somewhere yes um yeah that that, that would be nice it, it, it would be nice to hold something actually own something where everything was was pulled together and and we could say oh yeah that's that's us listen to that yeah rather than I've got an old tape here. If I can get tra get it transferred to CD, then you can listen. You know, it'd just be nice to have that with a proper cover and maybe some, you know, proper liner notes or something that would. That's what it would be good to do. Actually, is get us all together so that we could actually compile a proper. You know, you mentioned there's not a 
Wikipedia page or anything. It would be good to get something like that written so that it was and something that we all agreed with so that we could have a little history of it. I know it's all about the archive and especially when you get to a certain age and you want to uh, get everything nice and tidy. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. And this week it is the James Dean driving experience special because I caught up with David Hopkins, as I've probably said many times before in the show. Anyway, I'm very excited because um, I just think they're a fantastic band. So we're going to play another track. This is titled Clear Lake Revisited. track titled Clear Lake Revisited that came from the James Dean driving experience. Sadly that is the end of the show. This has been David Eastall. This has been the C86 show. If you want to contact me you can via Facebook or Twitter just go to at C86 show and that will be marvellous as long as it's positive otherwise just hit delete and um, see a therapist about it. I don't know. Anyway, a huge thank you for David Hopkins for giving me the time for that interview. Much appreciated. I will leave you with another track by the band. This is titled Oh Grateful. Have a great week. Tune in next week because I will have another special guest. Anyway, take it away.
Choose not easy 